Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I'm so happy you're all here with us today. We have a really interesting guest today that I I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. So welcome. Can you uh, introduce yourself to us, please? I'm sorry. I'm kind of losing my voice, so it's kind of hard to talk. But... Uh, Joel Harris. I live in Providence, Rhode Island. Finally able to publish my first hardcover book or soft cover or ebook, whatever they want to do with it. It took 25 years in, in the doing. And it's about uh, my son, who's unfortunately suffered a, a tragic a tra- a demise when he was uh, 31 years old in 1999. So I have had lots of time to, to understand what's been going on. And, and I put as much as I could uh, into the book. And this is my first introduction to a, to a conversation. It's the first uh, effort really to, to uh, relate in a formal way what's, what, what the book is about. So I hope I can uh, answer the questions in a, in a logical way. Oh, I'm sure you'll be just fine. I'm I'm just fascinated by the way you wrote your book. I am a huge advocate of writing to deal with grief. And there's lots of different ways that you can do it. And you combine several different ways in your book uh, of different ways to do it. Can you tell us a little bit about your process? Did you Did you have in mind to start off with that you were going to use all these different sources? Or what what were you thinking? Well, you know, the, I, uh, I love that question because that's probably what I know best about the book. Oh, good. <laughs> Having lived with uh, my son, absolutely adoring way. I think it was mutual. We were very lucky. He was an adopted child when he was six days old in a mar- marriage that unfortunately had its own built-in self-destructive uh, aspect to it. So my, his 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 adoptive mother and I got divorced when he was uh, eight years old. I think we all felt that we were letting Stephen's biological family down, even though we didn't know who they were. But we kept up a close communication. And when I got remarried again, which was about eight years after that, uh, he really had two adoring mothers and two nurturing mothers. He was very lucky in that regard. He had a sister whom he loved dearly, who loved him, who was eight years older and a very, very smart lady. And uh, we kept him in close touch. I mean, we the, the impetus to write about Stephen started very, very young. He was probably three or four years old. And coming out of that, that uh, growing into a into a young child, into a into a very precocious child, and not really knowing uh, anything about his background, who his parents were, having been told uh, just a little bit and and from that, 
uh, a sort of enchantment which which developed out of the imagination you know you want to you want to uh, imagine things that are all positive and so I wrote a story about him that was uh well I I, I, I let me backtrack a little bit I, I believe firmly with what, how you feel about writing because yeah yeah it's, it's the best way to provide self-therapy and if you if you have that urge to to put words to paper. It's a lot cheaper than a psychiatrist. And I think it's probably more beneficial in the long run. But it, but it, it's something you live with your whole life. In any event, I, I started writing when I was a junior in, in, in college at, at Harvard. And I took the wrong writing course. I had decided to take, an, uh, to, to, uh, take a course in writing so that I could pursue a... Uh, a, 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 an honors degree in economics. And I wound up taking a, a, a creative writing course, which, which was totally the wrong thing. Uh, it didn't teach me how to write file cards or what have And And uh, I the, the arguments that I wanted to make, which I must say, uh, while I made honors, it was by the skin of my teeth. Uh, I threw my thesis away probably uh, 15 years later. But nevertheless, I published a story out of that class, uh, a story I only got a, a B minus on, which was my grade for the course, but a national magazine, uh, Escapade magazine that back in the 50s, middle 50s, began publishing in the same venue that Playboy. They competed with one another and they both had the centerfold and and uh, an excuse to publish some some serious writing, uh, and and they were very tame magazines compared to what is going on in today, today's uh, media. And I actually got paid a hundred dollars for it. It was I won a college writing contest. Six collegians from various universities throughout the country were published, and and uh, so it made me think. Well, here's something that I could just keep doing. Well, I it took me probably 10 years to get published again. And, and uh, that was in uh, an international magazine, Transatlantic Review. And uh, they were published in London and in New York. And then I published again uh, a couple of years later in Prairie Schooner at the University of Nebraska. And that, that piece got reprinted in a, in, a, in a high school textbook. So I thought I was off and running on a career that maybe I could leave working for a family business, uh, which I really wasn't very happy at, uh, with, uh, and, and, but, but, but passably, passably good. Anyway, I wrote these, the first story about, about Stephen in around 1970 or so. And, and that, again, was accepted by Transatlantic Review. Uh, and I actually got paid $65 for it, uh, which was... Fairly, uh, a fairly decent piece of change, probably, you know, uh, one-tenth of, of what the dollar, or ten times what the dollar is today. Well, they didn't publish it for a couple of years, and, and I, I was in a hurry. I was in a hurry to change my life. I asked for it back. They said, well, okay, you know, we, if you're patient, you can, you can uh, be sure that, 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 that it will get published. Well, that's one thing you got to teach a a young writer is to be patient. That's a hard thing to learn. So it took me 
well, the story never got published again until it's it's the uh, the second chapter in part two of the book. So I did I did make use of it. Well, the 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 crux of the whole thing is when when Stephen left for Nicaragua, he left his some of his clothes, his winter clothes, a lot of his books. He was a science fiction addict and and uh, probably read every science fiction paperback that ever that ever got written. And he left his Mac computer and in my basement. And us, the, the faithful phone call came through from Nicaragua on a Sunday. And we uh, just were shaken to our core. Probably a month or two later, I started to go through his things in the, in the cellar. And I realized that I had this Mac computer. I turned it on. I found all his teaching files that I used in the book. Not, not I didn't use all of them because they were they were voluminous and, and essays, uh, which I couldn't use. But I, I, I'm using in a second book. I, I was just fascinated. I mean, I knew he had written things that I had uh, that he had shown me when he was at graduate school. Graduate school was Rhode Island College of Education locally. He went to Wesley in, in, in Connecticut. Where he finished in the bottom 10% of his class. Barely got through, needed two courses to get, actually get his diploma, even though they let him go through the, the uh, graduation exercises. The, the irony in all of that was that he got perfect 800 board scores on at least two out of the five tests. One was chemistry, where he, you know, he he, he bunked through most of his high school. Uh, work. He was one of those underachievers who needed to really be stimulated. And when he got to Wesleyan, he met a whole bunch. It, it, it was like he met a surrogate family of young young people that he remained friendly with. He, he thought he could get through his classes without attending lectures. He would write essays in his own impertinent style. And uh, he managed to get through, and as I say, he managed to graduate. When he, after a year of bouncing around, uh, I convinced him that he should should go to the, the local teaching college, which was uh, Rhode Island uh, College of Education. And and uh, he finished in the top, maybe the the the, the top one percent, two percent. He got all A's. He was excited to uh, studying teaching found his niche. And so he, uh, that was what he pursued through the, the bumpy courses of the book, because he had a lot of challenges, as you might remember. He wound up in Nicaragua, and, and, and Managua, he, he taught for a year and a quarter. He just, he just found his, his soul. He found his, his place in the world. He, he loved teaching the kids that, that were there. Uh, they loved him, and he just had a soft spot in his heart for dogs. And uh, while his own dog was was with him that he had had from college, he he uh, had gone to uh, the coast, the Pacific coast, to to go on a, a fall cruise during a break period with some of his friends in, in Nicaragua. And it was a post hurricane. Uh, a friend's dog. They went out to the uh, to the Pacific coast, their, their, their cruise was canceled. It was a, you know, one of the sailing boats that they would take a crew with them and 
just go sailing in the Pacific for a couple of days, a long weekend. And anyway, while they were staying out on the coast, the, the dog that belonged to the, the uh, one of the friends slipped off the rocks. It was very rough, rough. And he didn't think twice. He should have, his impulse, because he was a dog owner, because he was a dog lover, uh, he jumped in where he shouldn't have. And he was a very poor swimmer. So all of these, these events just sort of stimulated stories for me to, 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 to write about it because I, 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 I had his essays and I, I wanted to integrate. I, somehow I wanted to give him a voice and a sympathetic voice and, and, and share his story with, with, with readers. I mean, that was, I don't need to sell books to earn a living or to make money. It's, it, it's a love of communicating on his behalf. So um, the, the, there are layers there, as you refer to. I mean, one of the layers is a, um, a story about a, a, a young woman that I met after I graduated college, and I was just sort of traveling around Europe by myself, first time going overseas. It's like this is my first experience with the Zoom. I, I, not my first, but maybe my third or fourth experience with the Zoom. But I was, I met somebody that sort of kept me enthralled through most of my late uh, or early adult life. And she turned into a writer. She was a philosophy professor. And, and uh, she, in a way, influenced uh, Stephen because Stephen knew about her. And, and he wanted to meet her. We went to Paris once with my wife. We, we didn't because I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to disturb stuff when this had gone by. But right about the time that uh, the, uh, the mid-90s, I, I learned through uh, the, uh, the internet, unfortunately, that she had lost her son, hmm. uh, whom I had met on, on one, one trip to, uh, to visit. So I, you know, you, that really starts you thinking about what's going on in life and the trajectory that you share and and that you uh, unfortunately, in this case, uh, end with a joint tragedy. So I wrote a, a story set in, in Paris, which was called Proof, and I used that. I used a conversation that Stephen and I had been having for for many many years. Uh, he was now just finishing up his his graduate school, and it was a dialogue that I told him I could prove to him that God existed. Well, uh, I, I don't want to bring religion into this, the subject of grief. I think they deal with it very effectively. And I certainly couldn't add any religious dimension that hasn't already been discussed and, and, and argued for centuries. But that short story uh, turned into a novella. And it, it actually was accepted for publication uh, a couple of times. And I, I sort of got cold feet because I didn't want it to. I, I, I was now turning it into part of this book about Stephen. And I didn't want to have conflicts with between, you know, a, a journal who was going to publish a, a novella and, and, and the book. And so I just back, I got cold feet and backed out and, and thanked them for their acceptance. Just as this this book was accepted a couple of times by independent publishers, 
but before it was really in the form that it's in. And I'm glad I didn't accept the contracts because it, it I, I later made contact with a terrific editor who was extraordinarily helpful in a in a very uh, tactful way. And and I think it turned into the best possible book for present publisher woman. I'm really very happy with and, and I'm glad I I'm glad I got cold feet again because I didn't want my child this, this book and and Stephen the child to to uh, go into the marketplace without you know being being uh, well represented. Yes. I mean I don't have an agent. I don't have I I've, I've done everything on my own which is why it's taken so many years to finally produce something that that I'm happy with, but I've published probably 25 essays, and including one novella that's been, that have been in some very nice journals. And so I, I always had my hopes up as a writer. And now I've talked on and on and on and on. So I'll. <laughs> well, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, I'm enjoying hearing the, the story about it because a lot of us. To think of writing as, as something that you have to start and then finish and then go on to the next thing. But sometimes, like your, with your experience, it became so much richer because you kept thinking of different ways to do things, different things to include. There's such variety in this particular book that, that makes it not like anything else I've read any place, and it makes it very interesting. And I think that's especially when you're writing, when you're dealing with with um, someone who has died that you were very close to, it's it's a good way to do it because different things come up at different times. And if you deal with them in writing when they come up, then it could be that you're just writing for yourself and it's all in a journal that you you put this stuff down. But it's also kind of wonderful when you're able to share it with other people and they go, oh, I, you know, I had that experience. Yes, definitely. You think you're the only one that's experienced something like this, mm-hmm. you, that everybody has yeah. at some time in their life because you know, no one escapes grief and, and it wears a lot of disguises. Uh, you, you can lose your job and you're grief stricken. You can get divorced. It doesn't have to be the, you know, somebody passing away. Yeah, that's and right. I, my, my, I think I lived with grief and have been sensitive to it. and. and Say I, I I have been a businessman to, to all my life in the various enterprises. Uh, fortunately, uh, uh, halfway through my life, I uh, business career that is, I was able to uh, begin a business with my brother David, and it was based upon earlier experience that we had with our father and uncle, and uh, we made a much better success of that than I could have possibly have expected so the the the, the thing with with Stephen was that he wanted to write himself and the other dimension that we haven't mentioned or I haven't mentioned is the story that introduces each each uh section of the book there are eight sections of the book and they are preceded by a fairly long paragraph from his his I all I can say it's a science fiction book but it's not like a science fiction book it's it's almost like uh, something that Homer, the, the Iliad or the Odyssey. It's it's it, it's a, it's a, a reflection upon experiences that that he's describing, and he called Stephen called them the history of Latham, 
And they, they almost paralleled his teaching experience. Well, I deliberately made them, picked out sections that, that chronologically patterned his, his own history. Uh, this, this immortal called Saren dies young, uh, but it's about halfway through the, the history of, of Lathrim. And, and Stephen uh, experiences many of the same frustrations with, with students that don't want to learn, and yet he's able to produce some kind of uh, rapport and, and uh, create a, a learning pattern, whether it's just starting teaching them how to write so that, that they can write the, their best jokes and keep the keep, keep their jokes uh, recorded. Or, or, but in any event, each of these sections is, is a layer that I think astonished me about Stephen because I didn't know anything about this. This is, this is the principal discovery that I made when I... Uh, that Mac computer was loaded with just these files that he, ever, nothing else. There were no email. Well, I couldn't get into the emails because I didn't have his his uh, code. But everything that was extraneous was eliminated, and all I had were these files: was the history of Latham, his essays, his teaching journal, his teaching uh, experiences. That when he showed me early on, he said. Uh, I, I, I said, keep a journal. I, I'm giving uh, him the advice that you are giving your 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 uh, readers. But it's it's absolutely uh, imperative. I mean, if you if you're inclined, just trust your speaking voice. I mean, I'm I've gotten so almost beyond trusting my speaking voice because I'm 87 years old and I'm I'm lucky to. to keep consecutive thoughts uh, going. But I was amazed to find this particular dimension in Stephen's work. I still don't understand it. I've shared it with his, his college friends, and they tell me it has something to do with Dungeons and Dragons, which they mm. all used to play together. But that's that's something to pursue. If I live long enough, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to try and present that one. Uh, it's... It- yeah, it's so so interesting uh, with the writing that we do. I know we. I live in Maui now, and I moved here a little over seven years ago. And when we came from the mainland over here, we had to get rid of a whole lot of stuff because it just you have to take it across the ocean if you're going to bring it with you, and yeah. you don't want to take anything that you you don't need to. So I ended up going through a whole lot of things. And I found so many things that I had written at some point. I found letters that uh, my grandmother and her first husband, and I didn't know she had a first husband, but (laughs) they were beautiful love letters. I I found all kinds of different writing that I had done, that my family had done when I was going through. And nobody ever did anything with them besides tie a ribbon around them or put them in a shoebox. But I found so many of these things as I was going through, I felt like I developed a whole different relationship with so many people that I, I wish I would have known these stories and these things while they were still around and I could have talked to them about it or experienced it with yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, I know that feeling too because my mother's mother, my maternal grandmother lived with us for a while in her most, in, right at the end of her life. She 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 lived till about 95, so it was from about 87, 88, where I am now. 87. 
to, and hopefully I have that kind of longevity because my mother lived to the same uh, uh, age. She spoke Yiddish, which is not, the, the form of Yiddish as I understand it, it was a medieval German. That, that, was, that was the most equivalent language. And so I missed, I missed out on, on, on not appreciating that aspect. And she was from the Ukraine. So now I have double grief. She was from Odessa. Uh, her, my grandfather, and, and, and she came over probably in 1885. But she was a tough, boy, she was a tough Ukraine. I mean, that we, we considered, we, we didn't know the history of Russia and Ukraine, but she was, I mean, the, the, the grief that's, that's happening in the rest of the world was just too profound to even talk about it. Yeah. I don't want, I don't mean to change the, the subject. No, I, should, it, I should have it, stayed very much. Um, no, it, that's okay, because it, it all has to do with writing and, and remembering and, and grief and that sort of thing. In yeah. those uh, letters that I was telling you about that I found, I found letters that my great uncle had written uh, when he was he was teaching in Oahu, not too far from Pearl Harbor, and was there when the Pearl Harbor attack happened. And so I saw his letters and the, the perspective with as much as I could read from them because they were all censored with a like a razor blade. They actually cut out words that they, oh they didn't want to have mailed. But I, I would read through those and try and figure out exactly what he was trying to tell us and what he was experiencing. And that made the whole Pearl Harbor situation so much different for me, you know, with with the personal connection to things. And so I, I think the writing that we find and we discover that we leave behind is it's really important for a kind of our, our place in the universe and our place with our families and our loved ones. Well, if you if you if you are sensitive enough, I think the universe tells you something. I remember my my most recent editor said, "You know, I don't like reading uh, work that has a lot of dreams. You've got an awful lot of dreams in this book." I, again, I, I think that's the only area where I, I've I've been creative is is in imagining. Uh, at night and, and creating a dream, the mind creates it for you. Otherwise, even what I call fiction is nothing but a story that gets processed through somebody's viewpoint, point of view, and and it's 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 dishonest to call it a, a, a nonfiction because anybody else that shared that perspective would say, no, no, that's not how it happened. You, you know, this is it was it was different. So, so a story is a story, and and some of the some of the pieces that are that are in Searching for Steve, just to put the title out there, were were published as fiction. Some of them were published as nonfiction. To me, they're just they're just stories. They're like, stories, yeah. yeah. I can understand that, and I, I like the aspect of dreams that, that you mentioned because our dreams are can be very interesting. And I, I do keep a, a dream journal. I don't write in it often, but when I wake up and I remember a dream that I had, I try and write it down because yeah. I, I find I discover 
things in there. It's not literal, like whatever it was that you dreamed is not the experience, but whatever it is that you're writing about, it comes into things that maybe you need to think about, or maybe you do need to talk to somebody about something to learn something that you didn't know. It's just, it's fascinating. So I, I'm, I can't tell you where all those dreams come from, but I think it's a really good idea to write them down. It's another form of writing that yes, I think is very, very valuable. Yeah. The editor said, I'm, uh, if you want to keep, leave them in there, um, I, I, I won't make an objection. So, so let me keep, uh, let me keep, the, let me keep them. So that's what a good editor does. By yeah. the way, as you know, I'm sure. Yeah. They, yeah. They don't I, get I, arbitrary. <laughs> I do have that sort of uh, uh, conversation every once in a while when the editor says, You need to change this like this. And I say, Nope, <laughs> that's what I meant, you know? Yeah. So you, you, you have to really know what you're trying to say and, and, feel that that was exactly what you meant to say and leave it in. Or it could be something that could be changed so it's easier for somebody else to understand. Yeah. I think that's why we have editors so that we can have a a different perspective and make it the most universally accessible. That's that's a good way to put it. Absolutely. Yep. So thank you. Thank you for, for, for making me think about the different layers that you perceive there because I think it's a dimension that might confuse a reader, but I think hopefully they'll get through the story and maybe relate their own experiences, I'm sure. And uh, Stephen will be validated. I, I, I will I, I will go forward thinking that I did the very best job that I could, and especially the responsibility that I owed him and that I owed that I owed the, uh, the, the the families that were somehow bound up in his history. That's it's a beautiful way to put it, and it's it's so wonderful to be able to get that story out there because so many times someone will pass and not have expressed what they wanted to get out there during their life, and if somebody can, else can help uh, help yeah. them live on through what they write about them. It's, it's really good. Yeah. And especially, especially, I don't know who's going to pick, pick up my pieces. Uh, I haven't, I haven't seen any, uh, uh, any Plato following me behind picking up the sages words of wisdom. So uh, you got to do it yourself. Yeah. You want to get it done. You really got to live long. That's, 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 that's a real key to it. Try to keep your wits about you, which was my father's favorite expression. I love that. I I always, uh, for some reason, I had it in my mind that if I could just write a book, then people would remember who I was. That that was important to me from, from early on. And I didn't consider myself a writer. I was in, um, when I was growing up, I was always considered slow in my classes And then we discovered when I was in about fifth grade that I couldn't see very well at all. I couldn't see to read. I couldn't see to write. That's why my handwriting was terrible. I couldn't read what they were trying to teach us how to read, and I couldn't see it. And once I got a pair of glasses, I thought, that's what the world was supposed to look like. (laughs) But it put me way behind in my education because I hadn't been able to be doing things at the same speed that 
the other students were. And so reading and writing became very valuable to me. I could really see the value of it. And I'm, I'm just so thrilled that I've gotten to the point where I've taught writing for most of my adult life at the university level. And I just love doing it. I love being able to give people the tools to bring things out of their mind and be able to express themselves and tell their story and tell what, what they want to be out there. Well, the, there are so many writing courses mm-hmm. and there are, there are lots of opportunities to get into programs from the junior college level up through graduate school. And there's almost an industry of teaching writing. But the point is really it, it will teach them how to think, how to read better, how to enrich their lives. They're not going to, I mean, the percentage of people who are going to turn into serious or or even attempt to be a serious writer and, and ever get published, which is almost, it's easy to get into Harvard than it is to get a book published and, and forget, you know, forget about Harvard. So uh, I think I got in because I was an athlete and I wasn't a student, although I was a good student, but I got good grades and, and, and decent college board scores. But I, I, I was like my son, except I, I was in the bottom 20% of, of the class going in. And when I gave up running track, and I was a good, I was a good track athlete. And I, when I decided I was just on the cusp of maybe getting honors in, in, in economics, which I happened to like, and I had the time to, to put into writing the thesis and preparing for the oral exam. I, I, I mean, this is like my second oral exam in a, in a sense, uh, 60 years later. I, I had to think about this. What is an interview going to be like? I mean, I had damn few cues and 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 a lot of trepidation. I mean, I had a lot of dialogues with myself, especially at three a.m. in the morning. I'd wake up talking to myself, only talking to you. And and, and of course, it's a lot easier if you have courage to go through, just face up to the event if you want to. If you want to be a writer, you have to go the whole nine yards and you have to you yeah. do things that you're not comfortable doing. But in any event, I, I managed to finish in the top uh, 25% of the class, from, from the bottom 20%, because everybody was smarter than me or, or better educated. They may not have been smarter than me, but but they, they had better education. I had a high school education and I was a jock. And, and, I, and I, was, I was an athlete right up on... Till my senior year, and uh, and I loved it. I, you know, I would have continued that way if it didn't have a, uh, if it didn't break a bone in my foot. So the things that happen to you in life can have a better ending if if you figure it out. If you somehow are open to listening to yourself and the things that you should be doing, and, and yeah, giving, not giving up easily. That's right. I, and and I firmly believe a lot of it has to do with thinking because people, kids in school aren't really taught to think. And I run into them all the time in, what, at the university when they're taking a class. And I think, how can, how can you not know how to think? So I spend a lot of time teaching writing with helping them learn how to think and value the process of thinking. 
and value what they think. Because a lot of yeah. times people think that if, if they thought of it, it's not that important, you know, <laughs> that it has to be by some big name or big authority or something to be important. But what you think is what governs your life. And so your thinking is very important. The choices that you make, yes. And that I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that really is the way I look at, at Stephen's life. He wanted to be a teacher. He was good at it. It took him a while to become good at it. His 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 students in Nicaragua wrote the condolence letters that really st stimulated me. I was so uh, blown away by them that I uh, I dedicated the book to the condolence letters to, to his his uh, his students and and how we how we reach each generation and teach each generation is uh, such a challenge, which as as Human beings, I think we are sorely failing at it, and, and uh, it's how we how do we learn from the past? You know, unless somebody has got the skill set to make make it interesting and, and relate it in a way that we want to listen to and relate to, and and I think in a large sense we fail our children mm -hmm. and 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 technology. I mean, I think the people who are smart are getting far ahead of everybody else but if if your time is 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 not used wisely and you're not taught wisely you're going to fall farther and farther behind and Stephen was very sensitive to this and and uh he, he was a he, he was he was just a, an idealist he he exemplified that idealism that we all have at some point in our life it's the way i i know he would want to be remembered and that I've helped that particular memory along. He was a teacher and he did a difficult job and always succeed at it. But he he, he really uh, he really made a he made a mark. He made his mark in a troubled co country in Nicaragua, which has still got problems and issues. And, yeah. And and I remember uh, there was a sports program on Saturday afternoon, and I would have Stephen on weekends. And we used to watch the wide, wide world uh, let's see, of sports. Wide world of world sports. Of sports. I, mm -hmm. I watched that. Yeah. And they did boxing. They 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 had frequently they had boxing matches, uh, the world championship. And I can remember watching the Nicaraguan lightweight champ, welterweight champion of the world, Alexis Aguero. Uh, with Stephen, and we remarked on him, this skinny young man was such a skilled boxer, and he had a knockout punch. You wouldn't think he had a he, he had the punch that he did, and he was a terrific world champion. Stephen had two of his children in class. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think he had a daughter and a son in different wow. classes, because I saw Aguelo. How many Aguelos? And I think we had a had a conversation after his first year, and he, he remarked on that. How oh, that kind of serendipity shows up in your life. It, it's just it's just the beautiful thing about being alive and being yes. able to to survive and to have just a humane attitude. It is. I, I think paying attention to serendipity is so valuable. Because you can learn so much from it. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah, I was just thinking that, and here it is. It happened. 
you know, there, it's, it, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's something that we learn from. So that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I, I border on being a fatalist, you know, that the things are predetermined. Uh, I, I don't really think they are, but it's such a seductive concept because all of the, all of the beneficial and the good things and what I've tried to do, of course, with, with, with Stephen's life. But, but all of the good things that happened to me were all serendipitous. They were not because I went out there and I thought in advance and planned. Sometimes that happens. But, but most of the good things, you'd, you'd either have to call serendipity or just luck or bon chance or, or something that, that, that you were maybe fated to have happen. And, and uh, you you knew when luck was knocking on the door. My brother used to say that same thing. My brother, who was three and a half years younger than me and was my partner in business, we ran a commercial shipyard. And we we filled a niche in, in, in the marketplace. It was really kind of a world marketplace. But uh, we were we were very uh, lucky to have accomplished that. And, and uh, he used to say, you know, it's one thing to be lucky, but you got to be smart enough to realize that luck is knocking on the door and That's don't right. have to take advantage of it. <laughs> yeah, you don't open so, the door and nothing's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really uh, appreciate you coming on the show today. And I would encourage people to read your book because it's, it's, it's really kind of fascinating. It's different than other things that you've read. And I, I think you can really get a lot out of it. So we'll have all the information in the show notes with the title of the book and everything so that, that you can get your hands on it and have an opportunity to read this. Thank you very much. I appreciate your, uh, your, your offering of the opportunity and, and inviting me to participate. I, and I appreciate your, you know, your warmth and Thank you. Uh, rapport. Thank you very much. Thank you, too. Well, we will be back next week with a, a new episode of the podcast. And we're always here for you with lots of things to think about and to help support you and guide you while you're grieving. So thank you for listening. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.